Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. So welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Linfoot, and I am here today with a guy who is at the top of his game, all things events. He is the founder and CEO of Expert Empires the Elite Closing Academy as well, and is a very, very accomplished businessman. So welcome. Oh, thank you. Welcome, Nick James. Thanks, thanks, Jeanette. Thanks for having me on and thanks for making the journey here to interview me in person. I think this is actually the first in-person interview I've done in like over a year. So uh, it's... it's it's a, a joy to be sitting here in person with you. And I was so excited as well, driving from Manchester to Birmingham. It felt like as the equivalent of going to the Caribbean on holiday. Yeah, yeah. Birmingham, <laughs> I always say Birmingham, centre of the universe. You're living the dream, Jeanette, being here in Birmingham. With us. I tell you, it's all, it is all happening. It is all happening. So what would be great, if you don't mind, just... Give us a canter through your journey, Nick, where life started for you, and then we're just going to dive in from there, if that's all right. Yeah, cool. Um, and feel free to interrupt as I go <laughs> in case I'm waffling or anything. So, um, yeah, I guess the, the journey, if you like, for me started um, when I attended a Tony Robbins event um, in 1994, I was 12 years of age wow. um, and my mum was uh, was kind of on her personal development journey. She later became a coach and a trainer for Tony Robbins' organization. Um, but yeah, she she was going to Hawaii for this, uh, for this event called Life Mastery. And she said, do you want to come with me or do you want to stay at home in Birmingham with your nan, who I love dearly? But I figured Hawaii would be a much better, much better shout so um off we went um spent a couple of weeks out there and that was really the start um i spent my teenage years my early 20s traveling all over the world first firstly um participating attending personal development trainings uh seminars that kind of thing and then i suppose um, later on in my later teenage years and early 20s being a coach and and facilitating some of those events as well. So really got the opportunity to up close and personal see and learn from still the person to this day that I see as, you know, one of the the leaders, if not the um, best known person in the world when it comes to running personal development, business growth, self-improvement, seminars, workshops, conferences. So was very fortunate to be around that world from a young age. So mm. it was then really a, a natural progression for me to go into a career in that field. I worked actually for um, for a gentleman called Andy Harrington, who you probably know, mm. uh, Jeanette, um, who was at the time running like a small version of what Tony Robbins was doing worldwide, Andy was doing here in the UK. Um, and so I actually went and worked for Andy initially in sales, which was the best training I could have ever had because working in and around the Tony Robbins seminar world, 
I'd learned a lot about coaching, about human psychology. I'd learned a lot about um, what it took behind the scenes to run a world-class event, mm. but I didn't know anything about sales and marketing. So actually working for Andy, working with Andy uh, for about 18 months was really valuable because it, it gave me the experience, it gave me the opportunity to learn how to commercially run a business like that. Um, so I spent a, a 18 months, two years working with Andy. Then I went out and set my first business in 2008. Mm. Um, and from there, um, everything that you now know me <laughs> for, expert empires events and masterminds and the podcast, all of those things have kind of happened happened since. Gosh. So, so it's, it's fascinating, actually, because from such an early age, 12 yeah. years old, yeah. to have had that sort of positive role model, I guess, with your mum and yeah. then the environment that she brought you into must have been like mind blowing at that age. Most most people are twelve are kind of kicking a football around the field, and yet you were yeah. in that environment. Well, so, and, and I was kicking a football yeah. around the field as well, and started playing golf as well. Um, yeah. Big, big. Still to this day, love my golf. I'm trying to get nine holes this afternoon because <laughs> the sun is shining for once here in Birmingham. But um, yeah, it, it was it was definitely an alternative education, alternative upbringing. Still had a traditional education and quite a traditional upbringing, I suppose. Um, in many respects, but but the opportunity to travel all over the world and and you know be around. I often talk about the power of peer group and mm. how important it is to surround yourself with people who are um, positive minded, who are ambitious, who are playing a bigger game. And it became normal to me throughout my teenage years to be around people that were really successful. Mm. So I, I remember um, meeting and connecting with people that were running multi-million dollar businesses, multi-million pound businesses all over the world, that became normal to me. And I think that in itself was a massive advantage. Don't get me wrong, the training, the exposure to Tony Robbins' teachings from a young age were were phenomenally valuable as well. But being around those people meant that um, when I started my first business, building it to be a multi-six, seven-figure, multi-seven-figure business didn't feel alien to me. It felt... Mm -hmm doable it felt achievable because i'd been around that sort of success for many many years mm. and that that business was that the one you actually sold that business didn't you nick or was yeah. that the one before yes yeah, so, so <laughs> I, look like most people i'm sure that you interviewed for this podcast i've had a number of businesses um some successes a lot of failures and lessons along the way i mean i started my first business um uh, as a as a youth coach, I, I figured I'd been really lucky to to go through um, and learn about personal development and mindset and NLP throughout my my youth, my teenage years. Um, and so in my in my early twenties, I think I was twenty one, um, I left university and went. I'm going to set up a business coaching, training kids because I'm really lucky to have been around that. I personally feel that um, whilst uh, the traditional education system is great for certain things academically. You might disagree with that even, mm. but it lacks, I believe, or at least then I felt it lacked a lot in terms of teaching kids about mindset, about yeah. how to um, be emotionally strong and intelligent and, and, and really real world life skills. Um, so my idea, my vision was to coach young people, go into schools, deliver trainings, um, but I didn't know anything about the commercials of running a business in that in that arena. So... Um, let's just say it wasn't the success I'd hoped it would be. I managed to get one client. That one client was a, actually a referral from my mum because that's how bad I was at sales and marketing. Um, and so, you know, I, I was making a, 
a couple or 300 pounds a month in coaching fees from that one client, that was it. Um, which was around that time I went and worked for Andy to learn up close and personal sales, marketing. Um, he trained me in speaking. I started running some events and trainings for Andy's company as well, um, which really gave me the all the um, all the experience or everything I needed to be able to go and set my first business, which was was actually um, I guess you would call it for simplicity a marketing agency for NLP professionals and life coaches. So I would write their sales letters, their email campaigns, mm. do their marketing for them, essentially, because that was something that I got quite good at um, through working with Andy's company. So um, that was the first business that developed and evolved into an events business where I wouldn't just do the marketing for clients, but I'd also teach them how to write copy, how to do marketing, how to you know run launches, how to use social media, all these different trainings. Um, and that business was the one that I, I exited that in 2015, partnered with a friend of mine. Um, we built the business up together um, to be a multi seven figure business and then um, exited in 2015 and started from scratch um, and literally had to you know ask myself, what do I do now? Um, and took a lot of the lessons I'd learned, good and bad, from that experience and then started what's now known today as Expert Empires, where we run um, trainings, conferences, masterminds, workshops for experts, um, coaches, consultants, speakers, trainers, authors, agency owners, podcasters, um, people like you, Jeanette, <laughs> uh, and help them to start, grow, scale their business um, to seven figures and beyond. Yeah, fantastic. And, and what I think is really interesting about this is that you knew you had a gap um, when you know you started your first business, you weren't getting the sales and you went, actually, I need to skill up in that area. I better go and learn some stuff on sales. Look, if you don't fail in your first business, you waited too long to start your first business. Yeah. Like you probably could have got moving a lot quicker. So um, I, I think my biggest advantage, and I do sympathise with people that might be watching this or listening mm, to this, mm. who um, are maybe thinking like, I'm not ready and it's a big step to maybe leave my corporate career or start my business. Um, and they've got responsibilities, like they've got family, mortgage to pay, you know, mouths to feed, all those kind of things. My biggest advantage, I didn't have any of that responsibility. Mm. So, you know, in my early 20s, it didn't really matter if it didn't work out, because I knew I was always going to have a roof over my head and food in my belly. I didn't have anyone else to worry about other than myself. Whereas, you know, now I'm 38 years of age. I've got, you know, a lot of people that rely on me, family, kids, mortgage, all of these things. I'm like, if I was starting from scratch now, would I be as brave and as bold as I was? Maybe not. So, um, yeah, I think um, that was my big advantage. And so my, I guess my message for any any um, young budding entrepreneur or anyone who's you know thinking of getting out there and doing their own thing like sooner rather than later because generally speaking it's a generalization mm. the older you get the more responsibilities you're going to have the more risks you're then going to have to take and actually you know I, I didn't really have anything to lose when I started um, you know in my early 20s so that was yeah. my, my biggest advantage really yeah and I think that's that that is a, a approach to risk is is an interesting one isn't it because you almost when you're young like you say you go, kind of go well I've got nothing to lose so I may as well just throw everything at it and see yeah. where see how it works the, out the problem is for most people they wait too long just be, and again I don't want to dig into the um, you know the education uh, system too hard but I think a lot of people they go to school 
they go to college, they go to university, they then go and get a job. And before you know it, you're in your 30s with responsibilities. And then it's it's never too late. I don't believe it's too late. But it's more difficult because you've got more to lose. It's a greater risk. You know, when you're in your late teens, early 20s, you just go for it. You've got nothing to lose. What's the worst that can happen? Um, so I think that was my advantage when we go right back to the start from being around entrepreneurial people from a young age, it it, it removed, it normalized success and it removed the fear. Mm. So I, I mean, I actually, I dropped out of university without a degree, um, set my first business, failed, then went and got a job working for Andy, learned a lot, then set my next business and that's when I started to get some success. But I could afford to do that because I had no responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. So, so you didn't finish uni. No. Um, what was that like at the time? Was that a conscious choice or was it just that, you know, I don't know, circumstances took over and it meant that you didn't finish? No, it was a conscious choice. Um, I could see the path in front of me and I didn't like the path I saw. I could see that if I complete this journey, I'm going to fall into a job mm. and I could easily be 30 odd and then start thinking about what, what could have been. Um, and so I left um, university, turned my back on it, um, to start my first business. And like mm. I said, it failed. But I learned a lot from that experience. And then I learned, and really what I learned was what I wasn't good at and that I needed to develop a skill set called sales and marketing and learning the commercial side. Um, and Andy, who I went to work for, had already worked that out. He'd already built a multi seven figure business previously. He exited that business, started a fresh one. So like, I was around somebody who knew the mm. game. Um, and that was, you know, I, I often say I learned more in three months, probably three weeks, but three months of working in Andy's company in sales than I had in three years of studying at uni- studying business at university. I learned more in three months yeah. working in a business, a small entrepreneurial organization um, than I had in three years previously. So I, I think it was the best the best decision ever made. Yeah, and, and actually some people are just naturally more entrepreneurial than others, right? Yeah. And and, and have, a, have that approach to risk of just let's just go for it and see what happens. But you knew at a really young age, well, quite pretty young, that you're, you consciously think that that path, I don't like the look of that. Yeah. I'm going to go down this <laughs> down this avenue instead. And look, I, th- I do think you've got to be self-aware enough as well to realise what type of risk profile you have. Yeah. And I do naturally have quite a high tolerance for risk. So, you know, I've taken throughout my career a lot of risks, what a lot of people would perceive to be risks, um, invested a lot of money in things that I believed in and worked and paid Mm. off. I've also had some spectacular failures that comes with the territory if you're going to take risks. Other people don't have that same risk profile. Mm. Um, So I think you've got to be self-aware enough to know what You've got to know yourself well enough to realise what will work for you and what won't. Mm. Because actually, trying to force someone to do something that's crazy uncomfortable for them, they're in massive fear, the likelihood of making that work is pretty slim. Because they're going to be in such a negative energy. They're going to be so anxious and apprehensive, it's unlikely they're going to be able to flow and make anything really happen. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back to, to you as a, as a kid then. So you yeah. started at 12 and, and obviously your mum massively influential in terms of the, the direction you went in. What was what was life like growing up as a kid? What was family life like for you? Um, yeah, I, I, it's funny because, you know, I said earlier I had a quite a normal traditional upbringing, but what, what on earth does that even mean, really? So pro- probably when I actually unpack it, you go, 
that doesn't sound normal at all, but I don't think there is such a thing. Um, so I actually grew up with um, my mum as a single parent, lived with my grandparents. Um, so my mum, my nan and granddad and me mm. lived together um, throughout my, my teens. So pro- probably around that time, around 12 years of age, we, we kind of all moved into one house together. Uh, and my, my grandparents had a massive impact on my life. Um, my nan, she's 94, uh, still alive, wow. go and see her. Um, Grandma passed away about 10 years ago, um, but they had a massive impact on me. Um, but I think what one of my other big advantages, this wasn't really the question you asked, but I'll, mm. I'll share it, is that um, the two sides of my family are very different. Mm. So my mum's side, which I've just told you about, so my mum was um, relatively successful in the corporate world. You know, she had quite a... Quite a um, she was uh, like an operations director for a public company, um, and uh, my nan and granddad were amazing, and they they really you know with her raised me. Um, my dad, so my mum and dad separated when I was really little. Um, my dad like was completely the opposite of that, you know. So um, uh, quite entrepreneurial, bit kind of ducker and diver. He would always find a way to make ends meet. Just um, and, and actually, so having those two different kind of views of the world and different upbringings was actually, I think, really valuable. My, my dad's actually got uh, or had quite a high risk profile as well. Like He was comfortable not knowing how he was going to feed himself the next day because that's how he lived his whole life. Yeah. Um, you know, he's now in his 70s and he doesn't live that way anymore. But back then he was totally okay with the uncertainty. So I think in some respects, I learned a lot of good and bad from my dad, mm. which maybe contributed to some of my higher tolerance for risk now. Yeah, but combined with a very sound sort of smart mum and grandparents yeah. to say, that's great, be entrepreneurial, mm. but actually, you know, get yourself skilled up, you know, and, and know yeah. how to do this stuff. So I, th- I think, I think the, mix, the mixture as well, um, yeah. you know, I, I mean, look, to be really open with you, we, like, my mum and my grandparents, I never wanted for anything as a kid. Like, mm. you know, we always had enough money. I'm not saying we were rich, but we always had enough money. Um, went to a decent school. Most of the kids I mixed with were all, you know, from a similar background. My my dad, like when I spent time with my dad, it was a complete other world. Like complete other world. But it gave me an appreciation for the world as a whole. So mm. it meant that I, I enjoyed the stability of a solid upbringing, but also on the other side, I could... I got to spend time in an environment where people did not know where their next meal was coming from and they lived a very different life. And so actually the balance of the two was, was I think, really gave me a really good grounding. Yeah. And it gave me a, a, an understanding, appreciation and an empathy for, you know, now I'll meet people at my events or, you know, we'll, we'll, I have people that will message me because they listen to my podcast uh, and they are like, absolutely starting from scratch and going i literally they're on benefits they don't know what to do like i i can understand that world Mm. because for part of my life i kind of grew up in that world but without any of the fear if that makes sense yeah 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 fascinating so it must have been quite an interesting when you were spending time with your dad and then going back to your mum and your grandparents Mm. was it was there ever a period of sort of adjusting and almost having to kind of click back into that world and then the opposite when you were spending time with your dad what 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 was interesting was um i was quite not like most kids I, i only knew what i knew 
And so um, I remember when I first started spending time with my dad in the area that he was living in, around the people, he was around, you know, the kids that, um, so he, he actually lived with um, a lady and she had two children. So these kids, these boys were kind of in a weird way, a bit like brothers, really. Mm. They were from a completely different world to me. And that became really obvious at first. Like there was, there was a, a noticeable gap yeah. Um, and I was like, what? So, so I'm not normal then. And, you know, they would tease me and, and all sorts of stuff for the fact that I had a different life over here. Um, but very quickly, I got to understand and realize how to operate in that world and that environment. Mm. Um, and I think, um, it, it's, it's human nature to adapt to your surroundings. And I had to do that a lot as a kid because mm. I was always in these, bear in mind. So one week I'd be, at my normal school, with living with my grandparents, nice upbringing, nice house. Then at the weekend, I'd be over at my dad's council estate. No one's got any money, like rough. Mm. Then I'd be in Hawaii at a Tony Robbins event the week after. Like literally, that was my upbringing. So it couldn't have been more more diverse, more mixed. Yeah, fascinated. And, and actually, because one, one of the things as you were talking earlier, Nick, I was thinking, wow, you had such an old head on your shoulders at quite a young age. Yeah. And maybe it was because you had that sort of different environments, having to sort of fit in, but still retain who you are and just kind of, you know, grappling with all of that. It's, I, I also think, um, and I think this is great for kids, like anyone that's watching this or listening to this, you've got kids. I think spending time around older people is really valuable mm. in developing a young person's vocabulary, mindset, view of the world. Remember, I was I was practically, I mean, my mum, I spent a lot of time with as we travelled the world together, it was amazing. Mm. But like day in, day out, I live with my grandparents mm. who are, you know, were then what they were probably um, you know, in their in their late sixties, seventies, and I'm like twelve. So because I spent so much time with them, I think that gave me a very different view of the world. Played a lot of golf. A lot of members of a golf club are older as well. So I actually think spending time around older people. I've heard Gary Vaynerchuk talk about this a lot. His family set up. He spent a lot of time with his grandparents. And he says, actually, and I think I can relate to this, that um, being around older people a lot as you're growing up just gives you a completely different view of the world. Yeah, and I think that was valuable for me. And I think that's that is really great advice, actually, because when it when you get a little bit more, you know, mature, you realise sometimes you look back and think, God, I really wish I'd spent more time with your grandparents or maybe asked about what happened during the war. Because those stories yeah. that yeah. they, they can wither away and, and not and not be not be there for eternity. Whereas actually if you can get that knowledge and that experience, yeah, it's incredibly valuable. I agree with you. I think in kids developing the the skill set, the communication skills mm. to be able to talk with kids and adults and much older adults. And be able to do that and mix the communication easily, that is a really valuable skill. I think it's still been really good stead today for sometimes I've got to deal with and you've met some of our, <laughs> te- you know, I've got some of my team members who are in their late teens and early 20s. Um, I'm a lot older than they are. Um, I've got my mum and her husband are also part of our team. So mm. they're, they're our two coaches that coach all of our members of our mastermind and all of our clients. Um, uh, you know, I've got clients. I mean, the, the 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 broad spectrum of backgrounds of our clients is insane. I think one of our youngest uh, clients members is 19 years of age, um, and we've got clients in their 60s and 70s. So, me being able, me not 
having to think about how to communicate with them differently, I think is a big asset. Yeah. Because yeah. it's natural to me. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the business um, and and you building the business up, the one that you sold mm-hmm. and the decision process to actually decide to exit. Mm. Because I think a lot of people, when you when you build a business as an entrepreneur, and I do a lot of mergers and acquisitions of buying and selling businesses, um, but I think very often people, you know, they've started a business, it's almost their, their baby, you know. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. actually to make a decision, one, to exit in the first place, and two, what's your reasons behind that and the whole process. Do you want to just talk about that a little bit? I think that'd be helpful yeah. for people. Yeah, of course. And, and I'd love to say that that business was absolutely thriving and I exited with a huge sum of money in the bank that was not the case so that the, the honest truth was um, that it probably wasn't my ideal choice at the time mm. but we'd reached a point in that business where me and my business partner had different opinions about what we wanted to do with it and we went well how do we manage this and there was only one way it really worked and that was for me to leave yeah um, which I did at the time under I wouldn't say under duress, that's not fair, but I didn't want to. Mm. I wasn't going, yes, I can't wait to leave. It was like really hard for me. Like you said, it, I built it from 2008 to 2015. Um, you know, we built a team of people and we built a client base. And, you know, uh, and it was, I think what, one of the biggest problems that I had, I didn't realize I had at the time, I've spoken about this since, is my identity was linked to that business. Mm. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners have that and they don't realise it. And it was a massive lesson for me to, to realise that actually I'd built my own sense of self-worth around the success of this business. Um, and so when I left, of course, I lost all my self-worth. Mm, yeah. And so it was, it was actually for the six to nine months following was probably the most challenging time of my career um, because I didn't have much money um, I didn't have any staff. I didn't have any clients. I was literally starting from zero again. Now I can look back and say it was the greatest gift because I now, I remember recently what it's like to start from nothing because I had to do that. So um, so actually it was, it was um, a big advantage because now I've got fresh in my mind what it takes to start from scratch. I can tell that story because I did it. But it was incredibly challenging because I'd lost that sense of self-worth as I'd left that business. Um, but what I very quickly realized was as I built this next business, two businesses um, that I now own, it's really important that me and the business are two separate entities. Emotion, I'm not talking legally, I'm talking emotionally. I'm going, right, so that no matter what happens here in the businesses, I am still me. And whatever happens in my life, the businesses are still the businesses. And I think that's quite quite important. It was a big lesson. I probably only really, really got my head around that kind of um, after, you know, after some time. Um, it was funny when I looked back at how much pain I'd gone through in that kind of six to nine months following uh, the exit of that business. It only then later became obvious that that was the reason mm. because my sense of self-worth had been attached mm. to the business and the success of the business. Um, so what I'd like to think is that I've now, um, you know, learn that lesson and, and built a couple of businesses that are, I'm, I'm glad to say, successful and thriving. And no matter what happens, I can still um, be satisfied with my life, happy with my life, regardless of what happens in the business. I'm not saying that's yeah. not important, but the two are separate. 
Yeah, that, that is, honestly, I, I really appreciate you speaking so candidly because I think there's a few things that spring to mind as you're talking, Nick. One, people only ever see, you know, either the success or the failure. They don't often see what's going on behind the scenes or how emotionally these, how emotionally charged these situations can be. And everyone judges, don't they? You know, which is, which is one thing. But I think you're absolutely right. The identity piece is, is critical. And I see it, I've seen it a lot in the, in the corporate world, you know, through my career where people are so committed to their role, the business that they that they're in a, you know, whatever role they're in, that when all of a sudden something might happen where maybe the face doesn't fit anymore or circumstances change, they really struggle because yeah. they their self-worth is so linked to the role. Mm. And actually that's what you do, it's not who you are. Yes. And that is such a such an important lesson that you've shared there, whether you're in a job or you're in as a business owner and uh yeah whereas people wouldn't see that necessarily unless you talk about it so i think that's really valuable yeah and i think looking back the lessons i learned from 12 years of age all through my teenage years all through my upbringing prepared me for being able to deal with that yeah and recover quickly so it's again i think more than anything you are going to have um bumps in the road in your business you're going to have successes you're going to have failures you're going to have harsh lessons really the key is how quickly can you recover Mm. um and so it was i think all the work that i've done throughout my life up until that point meant that i could recover quickly and partly because i had amazing people around me i remember i remember i've mentioned them a few times um like just after i'd left that business and I was personally in a lot of pain mm. and at my, at my lowest probably that I'd ever been in my life. And I remember picking up the phone and speaking to Andy Harrington, who I'd worked for uh, previously for a number of years and spent like two hours on the phone with him when I was driving back from visiting my dad. Um, and that conversation changed everything because I, but because I had access to people around me that could support me and that could see this situation of, from the outside and give advice like that. Most people don't have that. I'm very lucky. Like most people do not have, you know, successful entrepreneurs that they can just pick up the phone to and ask for advice at the drop of a hat without having to pay for it. Mm. But I invested a lot of time throughout my life building those relationships so that when I, when I needed the help, it was there for me. And that, that was um, incredibly valuable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Who you surround yourself with, you know, people that you spend time with is so important, both in your personal life and your business life, actually. It's not all business. You know I mean? How many people have got friends maybe that just don't get what you do or they're like, Ooh, do you think you should be investing in property during this time? Oh no, it's COVID or whatever, you know, and actually those kind of people can really blow you off track, aren't they? You know? So uh, you're right. Having, having go-to people that you can just call on for advice and support and actually I think it such um, shows a real strength to ask for help and say I'm struggling here I could just really do with someone to talk to yeah it's, a, it's the number one rule like whenever yeah. we um, we enroll anybody into our mastermind programs the first thing we say is the number one rule is you've got to ask for help mm. because at some point either in the near future at some point in the future you're going to do something that doesn't work you're going to have a bump in the road you're going to have a massive catastrophic failure and if you don't ask for help we can't help you we don't know what's going on unless you ask for it. So um, again, it's it's probably something that I've um, developed a natural skill set in being able to do is just say, hey, I'm struggling and, and asking myself, 
who do I know that would be able to be would be best positioned to support me? Mm. I know that Andy had been through a lot of challenges in his career as well, similar to this. He was the first person I phoned, and yeah. it was and it was exactly what I needed at the time. So you had the conversation that kind of got you back in a good place in terms of thinking, okay, yeah, the next phase is going to be exciting. I'm going to do something. Yeah. What happened then? How did you then literally on a practical basis pick yourself up, start start what you actually have today, which is Expert Empires and uh, the Elite Closing Academy? Yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I, um, I now share this kind of strategy with clients who are in a similar position. They're starting from scratch. They don't know what to do next. Um, so look, I asked myself, first of all, what skill sets have I got? I was like, well, look, up until 2015, I'd built a business over seven years. It had been multi-seven figure business. We'd run large conferences. I'd run a lot of seminars, a lot of workshops, work with a lot of clients, help them to do the same. Um, and I was like, look, that's my thing. That's what I'm known for. Like you mentioned it in mm. the intro, that's what I'm known for now. It's what I was known for um, then to a lesser extent. Um, and I was like, look, what, what value can I add and what can I... Uh, who can I help? Um, and I just said to myself, look, anyone that's wanting to get started running live events, um, I can help them. Or anyone that's running live events and they want to increase the audience size, they want to um, you know, get more bums on seats, generate more sales, more profit from their events, I've got the expertise to help them. Mm. Um, and so I literally just made a list. Like on a practical level, I took out a pen and paper, I wrote down a list of people that I knew I could help. Um, and what I did was I made a video. It wasn't on my phone because even like in 2015, we didn't have very good cameras on our phones. <laughs> I literally made a video for each person individually. I went, hey, Jeanette, Nick James here. The reason I'm contacting you today is, and I told the person all about um, the program that I developed for, for me, coaching, consulting people on how to grow and scale an events business. Mm. Um, I think I made a list of like 16 names or something like that. Um, not long story short, nine of them enrolled as clients. And so, boom, before you knew it, within a few weeks, I had nine clients, I had money in the bank, I had I had um, clients that were paying me monthly as well. So I had some stable income and that, that got me back on, mm. back on the horse, as it were. That's what got me um, back up and running. And then it became a, a rinse and repeat of what I'd done before. It was like, right, so now I've got a base of clients. Now let's start and I've got some money coming in. Now let's look at running some workshops. So I ran my first event. I think we had just under 100 people came. Um, and it didn't cost me a fortune in marketing. It didn't cost me a fortune in venues. It wasn't mm. massive. Um, so, you know, ran the first event, got some more clients, turned it into a group program. And, you know, here we are, what, six years later, um, not even six years yet, five and a half years later. And, you know, um, we've got hundreds of clients in our various programs. We sell thousands of tickets to our live events every year. We've got 22 full-time people in our team. Um, but that all came from the pain and lesson, the harsh lesson of the previous business. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I love that because actually I think sometimes people get so overwhelmed with, oh, you know, marketing and generating leads and all of this kind of stuff that actually what you described there is really simple. What am Look, I good at? At the start... <laughs> You have to keep it simple. This is yeah. probably my biggest frustration with the industry that I'm part of, really, mm. which is, you know, you, you hear um, a lot of experts on podcasts or on YouTube videos or, or at events or you read content, you know, you read their books or you listen to their, uh, you see their content on social media, for example. And a lot of the things that are being talked about are more complicated than they need to be. 
Um, and so my biggest frustration really is that a lot of experts are teaching what I call six and seven figure strategies to people that are just getting started. So my philosophy is we teach the people that are just getting started the strategies that you should follow when you're just getting started. Mm. And I've just highlighted a very, um, very briefly, like one way that I did it and that mm. worked for me. And we've got lots of other ways that you could do that. Then once somebody's got a solid client base, now let's teach them about some slightly more advanced marketing strategies, skills. Yeah. Now let's talk to them about or teach them about how you could um, start to um, sell and deliver programs one to many. And then once they've you know, they built the business to another certain level, then we can talk about how to scale and how to recruit a team and build a build a much bigger operation. But you should do the the. For me, the, the definition of strategy is doing the right thing at the right time. Mm. All, all of the strategies that are being taught are good. Like, I think starting a podcast, great idea. Running a YouTube channel, great idea. Running Facebook ads, building funnels, selling digital products, running coaching programs, masterminds, running events, all of these things, great ideas. But you can't do all of them at the, at the yeah. same time. So for me, the definition of strategy is doing the right thing at the right time. It's, it's always a timing issue. Never a, it's never a good or bad, yes mm. or no. Is this, is this a good idea? It's, is this a good idea right now for me based on given your natural skill set, what you're really good at and what stage you are in your business journey um, and what you enjoy doing? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and actually, you're right. Keep it simple. Start, make a start, <laughs> take some action and then just build from there, really. But think about it in, in like building a property business. Now, look, I am not a seasoned property investor. I have property investments, but it's not my expertise. Mm. But like if somebody's starting out, would you recommend they do like a massive development of like an, you know, an old massive building and converting it into residential? No, of course you wouldn't. You'd say, look, let's start off with a single let, yep. um, nice and simple. Like, And then once you've got a few of those under your belt, now maybe we'll look at doing a HMO. Now you've got a few of those under your belt. Now we'll look at going into commercial or whatever the next yep. stage is. You, you know, it, it's the, the strategies that you should deploy become more advanced as you grow. Mm. And look, I'm all, I'm all for um, thinking big and playing a big game. And look, if you want to straight out the gate, go and do a massive development, good for you. Let's just say the chances are you're going to screw it up. Um, whereas if you start, you know, what I always say is think big, start small. Yeah. yeah but have yeah. the vision to create something amazing. And I'll, I'll support you every step of the way with that. And start off with what are the first few steps? Keep it really simple is yeah. always my advice. Yeah. I mean, you remind me actually, because when I, I used to, I spent a lot of time in the travel industry running biz, travel businesses. And um, I used to look after the emerging markets for TUI. So do business in China, India, Russia, yeah, yeah. all over the place. But I used to always say, think global, act local. Yes. And it's the same principle, you know, because what the Chinese want, what the Indians want, are totally different. You can't just have this massive an approach. You have to really bring it down to, to brass tacks, don't you? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, 100%. Talking of vision, actually, I loved it. When I went to the loo earlier, always love a poster in the loo. There's the vision in the loo, and I can see it on the wall here. And yeah. I'm, looking at, I'm looking at the buildings, uh, the key iconic buildings around the world, which brings to life your vision. Yeah. Uh, which I love because I'm a travel person by heart, right? So I'm going, oh, yeah, I've been there, I've been there. Um, 
Talk about that uh, and the vision, because I can see the Burge in 2024 with 10 million. <laughs> yeah, I mean, re- really, the, the, um, the, the buildings are metaphors for growth. Yes. So, look, and, and let me talk about vision um, yeah. briefly first. So, for me, vision is made up of three key things. Um, first of all, purpose. Why do you exist? Why does your business exist? What, what's it here to do on the planet? The second thing then is mission. What's the measurable journey you're on, which is what you've just alluded Mm. to. And we have a measurable journey that we're on in terms of revenue, in terms of profit, in Mm. terms of number of clients. And we measure that year on year. And then values, like what standards do you set for yourself, for your team? Um, How do you show up and how do you operate day to day? Now, again, would I suggest that you do that visioning process when you're starting from scratch? You don't really know what works and what doesn't? No, I wouldn't. That's definitely a multi-six or seven-figure strategy, but I mm. still think the, pr- the the premise is the same, which is think big, start small. Yeah. So if you're starting from scratch right now, regardless of what business you're in, whether you're invested in property, whether you're starting a, an expert business, which is what we specialize in, in teaching and training people on, think big, think, well, where do you want to be in a year, five years, 10 years time? Think big, but then look at what am I going to do in the next 30, 60, 90 days? Mm. Um, on a more strategic, tactical level. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, we're, we're big on, I think it's important as you grow a bigger business and we've got, like I said, 22 full-time people in our team. Um, it's important that not only that they know what the vision is, that it's communicated to them, but they're also part of the creation yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the posters that you see all over the wall here, um, all over the walls about the things that we're planning and the, the targets we've set ourselves for the next, three months, six months, 12 months, five years. Um, all of that has been created collaboratively with the team. So they they know, they feel, they know what the vision is and they feel part of it because they were part of creating it. Mm-hmm. It's not Nick's vision that now we are told we have to fall in line with. It's something that we've created together. Yeah, and I think really importantly as well, what part do they individually play in yeah. that in getting there? Um, yeah. Not just a role, but sort of you know how they actually add value and they feel like you said yeah. they buy into it. Then it, it's the best way to attract talented people. I'm very lucky, very fortunate. We've got an amazing team of people, and actually the the best advice people ask me all the time: how do you, you know, how do you build an amazing team? I'm like have a great vision and then tell a lot of people about it because mm. they want to come and be part of it. Mm. Um, and, and certainly that's, I guess, in in some way, that's why I joined Andy's company back when I was in my early 20s because I could see what he was doing and what his vision was and I wanted to be part of it. And I knew that I could learn a lot on the journey. Mm. Um, but he also said, I remember on my first day, he said, look, Nick, I'm really excited about having you here. And if you're still here in five years, I'll sack you because... I know that you've got an ambition to start your own business and my job is to, in the next you know, few years, however long that takes, get you ready to be able to do that. And it was less than two years. I think it was between 18 months and two years that I left and started my business. Yeah, so he was a great role model, role model mentor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rolled in, coach all rolled into one. All those really. things, still yeah. is, still yeah. is to this day. Still, still speak a lot with Andy and share ideas. And I'd like to think that um, our relationship has now evolved and developed that I can also add value and advice to him and his business because we've got very different skill sets. So. Mm, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So if you think about the best piece of advice you've ever been given, I know you'll have had loads of great advice. Yeah. Is there any one that stands out for you that's really made an impact on you? Best advice I've ever been given. Um, it has to be because it was such a turning point for me. 
um, when I, I was fortunate to, to have a meeting with Gary Vaynerchuk, um, which I won in a raffle, which is a whole other story, <laughs> which I won't tell you now, but it was amazing. Um, and that meeting, my vision for that meeting was um, I'm going to basically recruit Gary Vaynerchuk to speak on stage at my event. Um, and it became very clear very quick that he wasn't really up for that. And the reason he wasn't up for it was just because of how I was running my business at the time, which was fundamentally um, in conflict with his values. Okay. And so to answer your question, the best piece of advice I was ever given, um, and I've actually got this quote on the wall in our training center um, here at the office, um, and it is, how you make your money is far more important than how much money you make. Mm. Um, and when he shared that with me and it really sunk in and also um, because he explained his reasons for not wanting to be aligned or associated with our business in that current form back then um, it made me go away and completely rethink everything and how we did business um, and just over a year later Gary did headline our first ever Expert Empires event um, which was really the it, it was a big turning point that was mm. Um, when we we went from like a a small business with me um, running workshops and selling some coaching to like a business that was known throughout the world um, and we'd have you know now we have people fly in all over the world for our events and for our masterminds and that 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 was a big turning point that piece of advice brilliant and it's something that I talk about a lot now and I remind myself constantly that how you make your money is far more important than how much money you make. Great piece of advice. Now I've got a follow-on question from that because I'm just interested in what changes you made on the back of that advice. Yeah, well, well I mean, I'll be honest, back then, um, and it was probably based on just where I was in my mindset and where I was personally at the time, like I was a lot more focused on the money and bringing in revenue and profit of the business, mm. honestly, for selfish reasons, than I was about the impact we were making throughout the world uh, and the quality of experience we were creating for our clients. And, you know, I've made mistakes uh, on a number of occasions um, that, that had landed me on hot water for that reason. So that message really hitting home and me taking it on board and doing something about it, the changes we made was effectively our events stopped being a sales function and started becoming a value proposition, started becoming... Uh, an opportunity for people to really come and learn. And if they wanted to invest in further trainings and programs with us, great. And if they didn't, it didn't matter. They were still getting immense value, which meant they would come back time and time again, which happened. So I look, I look at, you know, our industry, the events industry, and I see a lot of people who are constantly trying to get new people, new leads, new customers through the door all the time because they're not very good at holding on to the ones they've got. Um, and so the switch really was for us to focus not so much on new customers, new people, but really just create an amazing experience, build a community where everyone's getting their needs met, and then trust that because of that, um, kind of the financial soul will take care of itself. Yeah. Um, and he was absolutely right, and it did. Fantastic. Uh, the only thing that he was wrong about, um, on the back of that advice, he said, look, if you do this, and I think you want to, but if you do, you may or may not, you'll make less money in the next year, but more in the next decade than you ever thought possible. And the only thing he was wrong, we actually made more in the next year. Right. So it worked and it had an impact a lot faster than I thought it would. But I was prepared to take a hit in the short term for the long-term benefit 
Um, and as it turned out, actually, we um, that year was when we um, in the new business we we did seven figures for the first time. Um, and from that point on, it's you know become a multi-seven figure business. We've started a new company alongside it, the Elite Closing Academy, which is due to become a seven figure business this year in its own right. So. Um, yeah, it's been a, been a bit of a journey. Fabulous. So great words of advice. So when people give you good advice, have the balls to recognise it and take action against it if it resonates with you as well, right? Yeah, you- and it did. I remember yeah. when, when we had that conversation, it was quite, it was quite emotional for me. Mm. And that was, I think that was my, um, I'm going to get a bit woo-woo now, if that's all yeah, right. Go woo-woo. Um, I think that was a deep-rooted part of my unconscious, realising that what he was saying was true, but didn't really want to admit it. And... and but I recognise that emotion and that's what caused me to take the advice on board. Mm, brilliant. Yeah, especially from someone who's so high profile and who yeah. you admire. It's, uh, yeah, sometimes it's a bit of pill to swallow. But when, yeah. you, when you do, you go, right, okay, actually. <laughs> well, well done, though. Massive congratulations. What a turning Thanks. point. So can't, on the converse of this is, can you think of uh, the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? <laughs> yeah, I, I can. So um, around the same time, um, so shortly after, um, it's probably about six months later, um, I had this vision to create this event called Expert Empires. Um, and my vision was like, it'll be like nothing else, certainly in the UK that anyone has seen. We'll bring in the best speakers from all over the world. It'll be high value. You know, tickets will not be cheap. It's not a free event. It's not a cheap event. Um, but people will come because the event's that good. The lineup's that good. We're going to absolutely over deliver on all of our promises. Um, and a lot of my peers, some people that you know, Jeanette, mm-hmm. um, in the industry kind of went, that is a terrible idea. Because like, there's so many events out there that are free or cheap. Why would somebody come to your event and pay a lot more money to attend? But I just kind of, like, it's hard to explain. I just knew it was, it, it just felt right. And so even though there was a lot of people who I respected the opinion of telling me it was a bad idea, I just followed my, my gut instinct, my intuition um, and ran that event. And, you know, um, that was our first Expert Empires event. Gary Vaynerchuk was the headliner. Um, it cost me about 200 grand to run that event. I didn't have 200 grand. Like, I was literally winging it and trying to make, make things work financially, playing the game with trying to fund it and then, you know, and then uh, pay people later and yeah. get some cash in sooner and all that kind of thing. And it was it was a bit of a balancing act and there were some hairy moments. Um, but literally, if I'd followed the advice, which would have been basically to do what everyone else in the industry is doing, free events, pitch fest events, what I'd been doing before, um, I wouldn't be where I am today, no question. Because, um, uh, you know, our Expert Empires brand has been built as it stands for, I'd like to think, um, you know, high value events um, and stands against the kind of free event pitch fest model, which I see a lot of people doing. Um, and that's really what's, um, yeah, it, it's been, it's the best decision I ever made, despite the fact that a lot of people are advising against it. Mm, yeah. And now ironically, a lot of the people that advise me against it are now using the same model, <laughs> which is kind of satisfying. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's not exactly two fingers off, is it? But it's kind of like nice to go, yes, I was right. <laughs> but, well, that's, yeah. but that's been trusting your gut, but also coming back to, you know, I'm looking at the board behind, you know, the vision, the values and what's important for you. Plus that, the, the kind of words of Gary Vaynerchuk in, in your ear as well, thinking yeah. actually, you know, what's important to you is how you approach things and the value you bring. So yeah, yeah fantastic. I, I mean, I think I should probably just say like, it's a common theme throughout this whole conversation, Jeanette, has been surround yourself with great people yeah like the more the more you can get around people 
like you know, I mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk, and you know, I was mm. fortunate to work with and for Andy Harrington when I was young, and um, you know, he's still a really good friend and mentor to this day. And I, I, I make sure I intentionally make time and space to spend time around people who are playing a bigger game than me, that are superior to me in many respects. Also, I spend time around people that I think I can add some value to as well and can learn from my experience. And I think, you know, the um, the people you surround yourself with are who you become. Yeah, brilliant. You know, I completely agree. So I've got one final question. Well, I've got two final questions, actually. So um, where can people find you, Nick? Yeah, um, so probably the best way uh, to find me is you can subscribe to the Empire Builders podcast, uh, which we put out a new episode every single week. You can learn a lot more from me there. If you want to reach out to me directly, DM, DM me on Instagram. It's probably the best place to do it. Um, my Instagram handle is at Nick James Events, okay. I believe, from memory. Um, but yeah, Instagram is the best place to DM me and I'll, that comes direct to me, so I respond. Brilliant. And my final question is, yeah. what does brave, bold, brilliant mean to you? Yeah, I think, um, well, let's break it into the three words. I think, well, brave and bold sit together. One of our company values is we're dynamic and daring. And I think brave and bold, for me, are very similar to dynamic and daring. And to me, that means like make, making decisions taking action on those decisions, following your gut instinct. Sometimes when you're being told by everybody else it's a bad idea, that is being brave and bold and also standing up for what you believe in and, and not kind of just following the status quo because that's what everyone else does. Um, and I think brilliant for me is being self-aware enough to know your strengths, knowing what your genius is and then putting all of your focus and attention into doing that. So, you know, I, I built all of our all of our businesses really since 2008. I've had a common theme and that's been events. And that's because I'd like to think I'm brilliant at events because I've been around it since I was 12 years of age and I've run, I don't know, I've lost count. I mean, it, hundreds, hundreds now. I don't think we're quite a thousand. Would be a thousand? Not far off, events. Uh, so, you know, I've done a lot of it and so I'm really good at it. And so it would be foolish for me to build a business that's not based upon my native genius. So I think really being brilliant is about knowing what you're brilliant at and then doing more of that. Yeah, no, fantastic. So when we get over a thousand, we'll be having to do a repeat, a repeat um, interview for the podcast to see yeah, what's I next. I don't, I don't know how many events we've done. I honestly have never counted. Um, we did, in 2019, we did about 200 days of training. Didn't do as many in 2020 for obvious reasons, but about 200 days of live training in 2019 so yeah we, we wouldn't be far off a thousand events that we've run uh, i wouldn't have thought excellent oh well, well massive congratulations and thank Thanks. you for being so open and honest nick because it's uh, always all about so. always i would say ask me anything i'll give you the answer i'm not saying you're gonna like it but i'll give you the answer <laughs> um and same goes for if you want to contact me on instagram ask me anything i'm more than happy to answer but yeah thanks for having me on and, and thanks for making the journey to do this live in person it's been, yes. a, it's been a pleasure you are brave bold and brilliant nick Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.